Welcome to Restaurant Influencers. My name is Sean Walchef, founder of Cali BBQ and Cali BBQ Media. In life, in the restaurant business, and in the new creator economy, we learn through lessons and stories. I want to give a special shout out to Toast, our primary technology partner at our barbecue restaurants here in San Diego, but more importantly for believing in this show, for giving us the opportunity to work with entrepreneurs to share stories of the greatest storytellers and the greatest hospitality minds on the planet. Today we have Jack Gibbons, CEO of Front Burner Society. Jack is a legend in the space and we are honored to have Jack on the show. Jack, welcome. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to kick us off with the our favorite random question, which is where in the world is your favorite stadium, stage, or venue? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I, the, I'd say my favorite concert that was in a really cool venue was at the belly up in aspen uh colorado and uh train was playing and it was super intimate and it was really cool and it's a great performance and i think the venue made the uh the experience you know for sure that's awesome we're gonna go to the belly up in aspen i've no guest has has picked the belly up in aspen so um, we're a big fan of of intimate venues and i'm gonna put you I'm going to talk to entrepreneur, talk to Toast, talk to some other partners, and we're going to do kind of a TEDx style hospitality conference where I just want Jack to get on the mic. I don't want any panels. I don't want any, <laughs> none of the, none of the stuff that we see out there. I know there's some, some, some places that are doing better, but I want to hear, I want to hear Jack just take the mic and tell me, Jack, who are you and what do you believe? So my name is Jack Gibbons. I, I consider myself um, a restaurateur. Um, but I'm only as good as the people that, uh, you know, work around me on my team. We have an amazing team. And uh, the name of our company is FB Society. We create brands, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and really to create brands that, um, you know, have, you know, never been imagined and interesting. And it's uh, it's an experiential company. And that's kind of what we do. Can you give us an idea of the size and scope of the work that you've done? Yeah, so we've created um, over 20 brands that have actually opened up as restaurants in the last 15 years. Um, some of the brands have scaled and continue to scale uh, as we've exited those brands, some of them being Twin Peaks, which is over 100 and something restaurants now. Uh, Velvet Taco is probably well over 50 now. Uh, those are brands that we're not engaged with day to day. Velvet Taco, we're still investors in. Uh, but then we have uh, multiple brands. Uh, primarily, we start them all in Dallas. And then um, when it makes sense, we scale them outside, um, hopefully regionally first and nationally. Can you tell us a story of when you knew Randy DeWitt was the guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Randy, my partner, and I had known each other for a couple of years. Um, he always says he was trying to hire me away from Pappas at the time I was running Papado. And um, he had a seafood business uh, called Rockfish that uh, originally he had sold in a partnership to Brinker and uh, had bought back um, and it was kind of struggling. And um, he was kind of looking for the next thing to do in his life. And uh, we had talked often about him trying to hire me to uh, run Rockfish. And at the time, you know, running Papado was a far more exciting uh, opportunity. And uh what he really started to uh, educate me and is a bit of a mentor to just being an entrepreneur and 
Randy's an entrepreneur in the truest sense. And um, he really taught me the difference between, you know, being a person who could, you know, eventually become a CEO, CEO and a person who could really be an owner of a business and an entrepreneur and dream up new businesses. And, um, and that's really how uh, Randy made a huge impression on me and lured me away from a great organization like Pappas to come and uh, take a chance on a really small opportunity that turned into something really exciting. Do you remember that first dream, that first concept? I do. It was actually, if you're familiar with Austin, it was uh, the first opportunity was on Lake Austin. And, and it's a beautiful part of uh, Texas. It's one of the coolest parts of Texas. And uh, ironically, I ended up buying a home on Lake Austin. So uh, it kind of the story came full circle. Um, but uh, it was a it was a, a wild dream of opening um, a restaurant on Lake Austin. It was going to be a seafood restaurant. It was a really cool location on the water where boats would pull up. And and uh, as we were going through the process and getting to know each other, because we still weren't weren't actually on the same team yet. Uh, you know, I think he really impressed me with his deal making and how that was going. And then think I really impressed him with just my creativity and operations and how I would really use the space. And the deal fell through. Um, but through that process, it really cemented in my mind that uh, I, I could work with this guy. And I think he was kind of special. So what was the first deal that did go through? So um, it was the kind of work for um, to work for um, front burner. But the real first deal was a brand called The Ranch at Las Colinas. And it was a Bahama breeze that was closed down that in 2008, before the economy really crashed, it was not doing well, but which I picked my timing grade, of course. But uh, <laughs> in, in 2008, this Bahama breeze closed and um, we bought it for $2 million, the, the real estate. And then ultimately we were like, what, what would work here in Las Colinas, which is a Western suburb of, of Dallas, uh, that could really be special. And it, it's a kind of a business community. And what we saw was a lot of the people that lived in that community or worked in that community were entertaining people. Um, because when people come to Texas, they're like, we want to try something Texas, right? So, um, and they were driving all the way to Fort Worth. So we, we just kind of saw this blue sky in the, in the market to say, why don't we try to create something Texas and really Texas centric and not, not kind of like the old Texas where it's like Yahoo and they cut your tie off and they do stupid shit like that. But something <laughs> where, you know, you actually get great whiskeys and bourbons. You can try local, you know, cuisine, you could try locally farm products. And, and that's really kind of where we started at, at the ranch in Las Colinas. And, um, Coming full circle on that, we just are hitting our 15th year. We'll be close to 15 million in revenue after 15 years, all-time record for uh, sales. Awesome. And uh, and it's it's been that story ever since we opened. And so, um, you know, that that's a magical restaurant for us and really kind of kicked off a lot of the other brands that we have today. When you think about scaling restaurant concepts, how how do what kind of lens do you look at it? Like I, I I think first off, you know, contrary to a lot of other people would say, as I say, uh, 
profit is not a four letter word. Like if you don't build margin into your brand, you can't hire the best people. You can't buy the best products. Um, you can't run great campaigns and um, it gives you zero flexibility. And uh, so I, I think that when you design a brand and you look at national expansion or even regional expansion, it, it needs to a concept needs to earn the right to grow. And just because you open a restaurant doesn't mean you should grow it, contrary to a lot of people think. And, you know, then you hear crazy people talking about franchising and all this stuff. And like the first thing is you just got to run one great restaurant and it's got to make sense financially. It's got to start developing a culture. You know, it's got to really kind of like create a personality, attract people. So there, there's a series of things that need to happen. Do you have any stories you can share with us about any concept that didn't make it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um we had a restaurant called The Keeper, and um, I don't know if they <laughs> The Keeper, that, Iro ironic, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and and there's irony in the name because a lot of people didn't exactly know what that meant, but it was actually a seafood restaurant. So, uh, and um, it it was uh, it was beautiful restaurant, beautiful build out. It had the right you know food. It 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 just, but it the through that process and then through COVID just didn't have the economics and it wasn't working strong enough to say this is a brand that we're going to scale. So um, during COVID, when the opportunity came up to get out of the lease, it just was one of those ones that said, hey, let's double down on some other things because this is taking up just as much energy. But like long term, it doesn't really have the same um, ability to grow. How do you review how do you view recruiting to build a team on the on the on the corporate side of the business so we we have a, a saying around um front burner that is uh only hire people smarter than you so um if i'm not hiring people smarter than me in all the disciplines like finance um in operations in construction and development on our real estate side uh then we're, we're not going to do it all that well so um i think that really when i think of who I want in the room uh, with me is people way smarter than me. And so uh, I think that's part of our success is we just really go after the, the highest level of talent. And again, it all, it all kind of goes back to why profit isn't a four letter word. Cause if you, if you don't have the margins, you can't afford those people to be in the room. And so um, I, I think that um, that that's a key thing is I think uh, entrepreneurs that don't hire people smarter than are stymieing their own growth. Who's the smartest person you've recently hired? Mm. My CFO. Um, he's brilliant. Um, his name's Brad Least, super talented, uh, way smarter than me when it comes to finance and the work that he's done in a very short period of time in our organization is just uh, uh, smart. It makes me look smart. <laughs> when you look in, what gets you excited for 2024? What are you, what are you currently working on? So new brands is usually what what gets us excited, um, and also the when when our brands that we've kind of grown them grown them out, uh, we're not done growing, and uh, we we are still developing those brands as they grow. One that the brand that um, I had mentioned about the ranch at Las Colinas, um, when when we had a location in 2017 to actually build a second one, which we never thought we'd do, uh, the idea of naming it the ranch in Plano was about the stupidest name I had ever heard in my life. Right. 
And, uh, and it was an early part of our career that we named it the ranch at Las Colinas, which actually started as the Cadillac ranch until we got sued by Tillman for Tia because he, no. had, uh, yeah, he had a, a trademark on the name Cadillac in conjunction with any restaurant. So, um, but in part wow. of that, in the lawsuit in the early days, it was great because we're like, well, if we, if you pay for the sign, we'll change the name and which the, the lawyers of his company agreed to. So that's how really? it really, and it was the cheapest way to do it on the sign was to call it the ranch <laughs> Las Colinas. So, so when it actually came time to grow that brand, we're like, okay, that, that name is a terrible name to grow with. So uh, that's how we ended up coming up with the name Haywire, which um, I love the name because it can mean so many different things. It just sort of in, implies a certain level of craziness, um, a certain level of like a lot of shit going on. And uh, so as we designed this uh, second Haywire, you know, it, it has three floors. On the first floor, it's kind of a whiskey bar, which in Texas is just part of a way of life. If you don't have, you know, happy hour in a whiskey bar, which is where I call it my second office. Um, so uh, and then on the second floor, we designed it that you actually walk through the kitchen to get into the dining room, which is amazing because on the left side of the kitchen, you got all the fresh baking going on for breads and desserts. And on the right side of the kitchen, got a peekaboo window as you approach it to kind of see cooks and action and then you walk by a display case of beautiful texas meats which are heavily marbled and you just see a lot of action and then you get kind of get into your seating area um and then uh of course it wouldn't be texas if we didn't have a bar on every floor so then we have a, a third floor rooftop deck that we have uh, an airstream trailer we have some tents that were inspired from uh, Marfa, Texas. If you've ever been to Marfa, it is a, a place that you, you know, you, you rent tech, tents to live in and or, or stay in. So uh, and it, it takes all those experiences and just makes them into this crazy sort of contemporary Texas experience. Uh, and, and so it's super fun. When you think of the DNA of a brand from concept and development to uh, execution to opening the restaurant then to building a legacy for that restaurant how do you go about that life cycle well uh, first off you know dna for me means uh differentiation nuances and attitudes right so differentiation is certainly part of the brand creation um we're not copycats i don't want to do something that somebody else has done of course, I'm always looking for inspiration, but I, I feel like, um, you know, we always want to find our own unique, um, you know, elements about it. Um, and then um, nuances. I, I think um, the consumer today is not looking for just another uh, show up and uh, treat food in a restaurant like a commodity. They're constantly they, like I think the more nuances you can build into a brand, um, the stronger it's going to be because it just creates that. It, it reinforces the first um, element of the D, the differentiation, and just makes it more unique and special to their experience. And then the attitude. I mean, whether it's in the culinary side or the experiential side, it's got to be something that just really kind of why, why should it exist? Because the last thing the world needs is just another restaurant. So I think that if, if you're birthing something, it should be really special and you treat it special. And then when you think about scaling, um, I think uh, not enough people actually take all those ideas and actually put it into paper. I think what we do 
is we actually commit before we ever actually sign a lease. We actually create a, a DNA that's actually written down on paper. And it's really the reason a brand should exist. And um, and when you put a lot of thought into the front end of your business, um, all of a sudden, at some point, I'm going to hire someone to run that business for me. I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to bring in additional people. We're going to have additional units. And as you scale, a lot of brands uh, lose their soul. They lose their specialness. They lose that, you know, sort of, um, you know, that, that DNA. And so what we really do is we uh, share the DNA with the team. We make it a big part of the training. We make it part of something you celebrate all the time. And we also, not only for the, the staff, but for the management team, because really decisions should be made around the DNA. If you're a, a Texas concept and you try to bring in Miller Lite on tap, like that's just a total mistake. It does, it's incongruent with the DNA. And so um, if you're a Texas brand and you try to bring in salmon, you know, we, we don't have salmon here, you know, uh, you know, it'd be like, hey, what are we thinking? You know, so, you know, as the team's working and they're really thinking about the brand, it really is kind of like the constitution for a brand and keeps people on track and keeps it moving forward and really, you know, keeps it feeling right as opposed to just being random people coming in and making decisions, which often happens to restaurants and quality suffers. The brand itself doesn't become as clear to the consumer um, and it just creates a lot of problems. How do you view your vendor partners, the primary ones that you choose to do business with across multiple concepts? I, I mean, um, I, I, I mean, a lot of times, uh, one thing we do is we do this um, uh, celebration of our vendors, in particular, our, the farmers, right? We invite them every year to show up their wares and kind of like a happy hour to customers. And then afterwards, we actually have them go into one of our private rooms and our team actually feeds them uh, a sit down dinner. And, and the idea of doing that is, A, one, to say thank you. And B, to let them just kind of relax one night with their family and enjoy a sit down meal themselves because, you know, the vendors are often I, I, I run into more like them hustling food into the restaurant because they're short or we're really busy or something's going on. And, um, you know, so, um, you know, that's that's kind of how we feel about our vendors. You've self. Described yourself as a maverick within your own organization. Do you believe that every successful organization needs to have some sort of maverick? I, I think to a certain degree, you have to be, you have to be comfortable with confrontation. Um, I think that, uh, and it, that not saying that, uh, again, if, if it's confrontation and I'm not the smartest guy in the room, that's always kind of interesting. Right. So uh, I think that, um, you, you need to challenge the norms and challenge ideas and challenge the thinking and challenge, you know, uh, things. If, if things aren't challenged, they're going to get boring and, uh, you know, things are going to kind of hit a, a point that you just become vanilla. And I, I just think that if, if you're an experiential company that creates brands, the, the one thing you don't want to ever be is vanilla. Confront is a great word. It's Jerry Seinfeld, the, the comedian's favorite word. And it's something that I, out of all these interviews I've done, I haven't heard a leader talk about confrontation in hospitality because it's almost the antithesis to what we do in the hospitality space. Can you talk a little bit more about confrontation? Because I think it is uh, 
there's a thread there that I, I think uh, probably sets you guys apart from from most most brands. Yeah, you know, ha- having lots of restaurateur friends, a good example of confrontation in a, a is interesting is like how how our industry feels about Yelp. Like I hate Yelp, you know, because you have these customers that are actually giving you unsolicited feedback. And, uh, you know, and we we totally think about it the opposite way. For me, it's like, man, I love this feedback. I I could like just ignore it if I choose to or I can act upon it or I could say, wow, that guy's really thinking to put it in words of what I meant to say. And so, you know, I I think that that kind of challenge uh, is. so necessary to management teams. And so we, we put things like that right in front of the team. And just we we actually publicly respond to every Yelp as a company, because I, I think if you truly value your customers, but you say only when it's something that's positive, you know, that then that's a bunch of bullshit because the reality of it is we don't execute perfectly every day. Uh, and the only way you get better is to really put the challenges in front of the team and ask them to say, hey, can we do a better job than this? So I think the idea of, um, you know, having people who can take feedback and think about how we're going to be better, it's the only way of how a brand or a company progresses to ultimately what it can be, because we've all seen it when uh, everybody feels like they're, you know, afraid to tell somebody something. And that's just like the definition of bad management. Yeah. You said that you have restaurateur friends and that comes with being in the industry as long as you have. have is there anything you proactively do um, to stay involved, to stay on top, to stay connected to leaders that you respect and admire that might be, and maybe they're not just in the restaurant space, other entrepreneurs in different business verticals? Yeah, I, I actually had an amazing uh, week two weeks ago. I went from, um, I, I won uh, Southwestern United States EY Entrepreneur of the Year. So I traveled to uh, Palm Springs to uh, spend a couple of days with, um, you know, a big celebration of EY, a uh, big event that they had with great, you know, all entrepreneurs from every discipline um, all over the United States. And you had a great lineup of speakers. And then from there, I flew to uh, London where um, with the Peach Conference, I was the keynote speaker for 350 uh, restaurant executives in, in out of all of the UK. And man, I had the, it was the best restaurant tours in the UK. And so wow. super cool brands, really interesting people. And then from there, I spent um, four days in Dubai visiting restaurants, seeking some inspiration for some new projects I'm working on and just thinking about what the future of our company is. And, um, and then circling back, back to Dallas. So that's 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 what um, that's what I love to do and do those kind of experiences to keep me in touch. And sometimes when I do those trips, I do it with a series of different CEOs in the industry that we all just go look to, you know, see some interesting things and enjoy some great food and cocktails and company and tell some great stories and uh, share some big ideas. And you never know what comes out of that. What was the keynote in the UK about? You know, it's, it was really about how to operationalize ideas and, um, you know, how to turn those those ultimately into, um, you know, things that can change people's lives, you know. Um, so I think ultimately that's that's what inspires me today. And doing that trip, what takeaways did you have for what you're building into the future? You know, um, I think the big takeaway is 
you know, just that we're, we're far from done. There's a lot more to learn. And, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're not getting any younger, but there's so much more to learn and so much more to share. And I, I think that, um, you know, when you look at it in a way that, you know, it's a bit of a journey and everybody's journey is unique and special. And, you know, I, I just feel like, um, you know, my personal journey and the journey of our organization is really, you know, we've done a bunch of we've done a bunch of restaurants, some transactions. We've had things happen over the years, but we're, we're still pretty young company and still learning and growing. What do you think when you're speaking to the other entrepreneurs, what do you think entrepreneurs in different industries can learn from our hospitality industry? I, I think, um, you know, the rest of the the world doesn't see restaurateurs as entrepreneurs. And, and um, I think that was a, a lot of my message in, in London was that you guys are the ultimate entrepreneurs. It's, it's really to a certain degree when you study history, uh, we are the people who started entrepreneurism. And um, you have people who are getting all the credit like tech people and other, other disciplines um, that might look sexier. Um, but it's funny, they, they have all the protection of, you know, the government with trademarks and things like that that we don't have. And we actually have to scrap it out and fight for it. And, um, you know, I, I don't think the uh, industry uh, gets enough credit for what it really takes to be successful and, and, and how truly entrepreneur it really is. Well, I, uh, I can't thank you, Jack, enough for, for your time. Um, anybody that's following the show, we appreciate you for watching. We appreciate you for listening. Um, please uh, go see what F&B Society is doing, all the different concepts they have. Follow Jack on LinkedIn. Uh, we'll put links into the show notes. But is there any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to for the restaurateur that's listening to this, maybe on their way to their their restaurant, something that you'd like to to let them know? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, um, you know, this word is traditionally not used with entrepreneurs, but, um, you know, to love something in French is actually means amateur. And an amateur is actually what a real entrepreneur is, because you go into it, um, if you feel like you've got all the answers and you know everything, you're really, you're never going to fit on our team and you're never going to be all that successful. But if you really can say, I'm, I'm still... I've been doing it for years, but I'm still a bit of an amateur. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Ultimately, that's that's where it's at. And I think that if you can, you know, continue to build that mindset of you're you're always learning new things and you're always in. And there's so many disciplines to be in a restaurateur, whether it be through finance, development, construction, you know, uh, uh, accounting, there's just so much to learn that you are an amateur and it's okay. And that's why you surround yourself with better teams and better people and just try to keep learning. It's amazing. If you guys want to connect with me, it's at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. That's on all the social platforms. Instagram is probably the quickest way or LinkedIn, uh, but we appreciate you guys listening to the show. And as always, like my grandfather taught me, stay curious, get involved, and don't be afraid to ask for help. We will catch you guys all next week. Jack, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Sean. Take care, buddy. Just a reminder, you, the listener, you, the viewer, are the most important person that consumes this content. The only way for us to grow this show is for you to share it with a fellow friend in the restaurant business. Help us grow the show by subscribing and always reach out to me. I want to hear your story. I want to learn more about your restaurant, whether you're on toast, whether you're looking to get on toast. 
Uh, we appreciate you supporting this show and we can't wait to see the content that you're creating and to learn about the impact that you are making in your communities. Stay curious, get involved, and don't be afraid to ask for help.